Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Julian Lawson and I'm the editor of the BJGP. And in this episode, we talk to Dr. Jaume Delgado, who is a lecturer in epidemiology and public health at the College of Medicine and Health at the University of Exeter. And the paper is Continuity of General Practitioner Care for Patients with Dementia, Impact on Prescribing and the Health of Patients. Now, we know that evidence is limited about the potential positive effects of higher continuity of general practice in patients with dementia. So I started by asking Jaume to tell us a little bit more about the evidence around this and the concerns specific to people with dementia. So there isn't a lot of research done specifically on people with dementia. Most of the research done so far has been done on general patients, general elderly patients usually, or, or, or patients with other chronic conditions. Uh, what, it has, what it has been found in, in, in general patients was that it can help prevent all-cause mortality uh, in the subsequent years or admissions to hospital or emergency admissions to hospital. So better lowering cost to the NHS. Um, for dementia, we think we're one of the first groups to work this out. And what we've done before is compared uh, rates of potential inappropriate prescribing, which is medication that can at times be more harmful than beneficial to patients, uh, in people with dementia versus people without dementia. And we found that people with dementia are almost twice more likely to have these types of combinations of drugs than people without dementia. And that these were associated with uh, dying more, uh, having more falls um, in people with dementia. So they have a worse prognosis. Um, so segueing in what we've done here now, we tried to find a possible solution to, to this problem, which was investigating continuity of care, which is how many times you see the same GP whenever you go to the doctor. And it's an important point, isn't it? That there's not that many things we can do for people with dementia as well. It's hard to find positive interventions to make a difference. And actually, so continuity could have a really important role to play in being potentially one of those. So really important to look at. As you know, for dementia, there is currently no cure. So treating them and, and keeping the quality of life for as long as their life expectancy lets them is very important. Treatment of people with dementia is important because dementia rarely occurs by its own you usually have additional conditions with it. Those people are elderly, usually at least have hypertension, but can have other things. So it's the ability to uh, manage this complex regime for medications where you're treating multiple conditions at the same time that becomes quite problematic. And here, continuity, which is seeing the same GP every time you go to the doctor, and building that rapport and relationship with the doctor becomes quite important in how you manage the con death conditions, all of them. Yeah, you've put that much better than I put it, because of course, there's things we can do for people with dementia, but it, as you say, we can't cure it as such. And there's lots of complexity going on as well. So tell us a little bit more about what you did in this study. Uh, so we took uh, data from uh, medical records from the GPs uh, from uh, 9,324 patients that have been formally diagnosed with dementia. And for one year, we looked at how many times they went to the GP and how many of those visits were with the same GP. And then we looked at how they were prescribed and we followed them for another year to see what their uh, health outcomes were. Uh, and what we found was that patients who were able to see the same GP frequently uh, compared to those that saw a different GP every time they went to the doctor uh, had almost 60% less chances of being uh, incontinent, 35% uh, less chances of developing delirium the next year, which are both conditions that affect quality of life significantly, and delirium has terrible prognosis in the subsequent years. And they were also 10% less likely to be admitted to hospital with an emergency during an emergency. Um, so we had um, 
in terms of health outcomes, a significant improvement to those at sub-SMGP. Uh, they also had uh, lesser, they were also prescribed less number of medications, so a smaller burden of medications and less uh, drugs that are deemed to be potentially inappropriate. Quite a set of results. We should linger on them for a little bit there because they are um, quite impressive differences. And, and it's not like these um, consequences like delirium, like incontinence, or emergency admissions to hospital are uncommon in this age group. So though you've given the relative differences there, actually those are going to translate into fairly significant, you know, absolute differences in these people who have got a, um, a high risk of, and you say with very serious adverse consequences of delirium as well, as, a, as, as an example you gave there. Yeah, in terms of sheer numbers, uh, about uh, 40% of our sample ended up going to hospital next year. That's a lot of number if you think it's almost 900,000 people with dementia in the UK. Um, delirium was about 3%, but it's known to be underdiagnosed. That number can be slightly higher. Uh, and incontinence is also fairly common among people with dementia. So it, it will affect um, a large number of people. Uh, so the impact is quite big. It's interesting. You actually mentioned comorbidity, and it was worth pointing out in your sample, something like 92% had, you know, had very, so there was very high levels of comorbidity in this population. So those, um, if you can, if you can make a difference like that, if you, if you had a medication that could make a difference to people with dementia with those kind of numbers, we'd be crawling all over it, wouldn't we? Yes, I, I do think that the, the big impact this has is not necessarily treating the dementia, it's treating the dementia and the additional conditions that they have. It's a complexity of the treatment that requires the doctors to be more on top of the patient. Uh, and that's why it's so important. Yeah, is, and is there any evidence of continuity around with people with complex comorbidities? Because, I mean, is that perhaps what we are more than anything is what's getting measured here is that the impact of continuity of care in people with complex comorbidities? I'm not entirely sure with complex comorbidities. There has, most some studies have been done with people with diabetes and some people with uh, chronic kidney failure, which are also conditions common in elderly patients. And those have also showed benefits. Um, so complex comorbidity is something that still needs to be investigated and we're on the path of that. Yeah. Any limitations here? I mean, there was obviously significant strength in this study in terms of the study sample. Um, and it was, it was quite, we felt it was quite representative of people across um, people who are living with dementia across England. And um, it's always worth pointing out, we always want like to dwell, just if there were any limitations that are worth flagging to people. There are some limitations. We try to our best to adjust for potential co-founders and make sure that our analysis is robust. There's always issues. For example, when we define a potential inappropriate prescribing, we're following a criteria that's available to doctors, which is a stock start. Uh, but that implementation has a bit of nuance to it. Sometimes a patient receiving a potentially inappropriate prescribing is, is, is the best course for that particular patient. And we don't have that information. So th there's, there's some, some, a level of interpretation that needs to be done with care. Also, uh, there might be some differences between patients who see the GP a lot of time and patients who never see the GP. Uh, and we try to account for levels of comorbidity and difference in frailty, but there might be some subsequent bits that we haven't analyzed that affect our estimates. But given how robust our, our, our uh, findings are for incontinence and delirium, we are fairly confident that the benefits are there. It just might be how big the benefits are in terms of impact. Yeah, it's worth, um, I know we weren't going to dwell on the numbers in too much detail, but the incontinence and delirium, the numbers were very clear there. It, you were a bit more, it, there was a significant difference with emergency admissions to hospital, but that was perhaps closer to, um, that was only just statistically significant, wasn't it, in this case? Yeah, the, um, the emergencies to hospital was, had a much lesser effect. And, and, and some groups, for example, we, we split our population in those that had lower continuity, and then we went 
a little bit more, a little bit more in the highest continuity or seeing the same GP every time. Uh, and, and for, for hospitalizations, the difference between the lowest group and the highest group that becomes significant. Whilst for the other two, there's a, a really nice dose response and all the groups are significant and you see increasing benefit as you increase the number of times you're able to see it. Yeah, dose response. And the, uh, and that's what we all like to see when it comes up because we could always argue these. Uh, we have to be a little bit careful because I think most GPs are quite keen on the notion that continuity works and they feel it's right. It, it feels that something that should be the case. And there's a, there, there's a risk that we can bring our own bias into that. So it's particularly... Um, heartening when we do see a dose response relationship we had one relatively recently with a the norwegian study about continuity of care there was a dose response relationship there it's so important isn't it yeah it just it just validates that there is that the mechanism at work seems to be correct it leads us towards that causation um idea i mean i'm still startled with the fact that you know even in the highest quartile less medications fewer medications being prescribed as well I mean, it's a remarkable difference Yes, it is. It is. Um, I, I think the the average was about eight to nine medications, and the people between the the lowest and the highest quartiles had almost one medication, uh, which is which is which is big, um, um, which is a good benefit reducing the burden of medication in these patients. Yeah, and in particular, you mentioned. I think you know you looked in detail. People look at the paper. You looked a little bit at loop diuretics, um, drugs that can cause constipation, and benzodiazepines as well. Which which. And I'm not talking about causation here where the change in medication led to the outcome we saw, but narratively, it, it, it's quite satisfying that those drugs are associated with the two major outcomes that we found, which is delirium and incontinence. So, Joao, where, where, where do you think things should go next in terms of researching this or putting some of these findings into action? Findings into action? The extra group is obviously very heavily involved in continuity of care and doubtless have some ideas and thoughts on where we should be going next. In terms of what practices can do, uh, which is always a tricky subject, it might be some, some, some possibilities in terms of how you manage your patients to make sure that those that require continuity or seeing the same GP frequently get to do that versus patients who, like myself, who are fortunately quite fit still and don't need to see the GP them often can live without seeing the same GP every time they go there. Uh, but what research needs to be done is to identify which of those groups are actually going to benefit from that level of access to GP compared and find out which patients won't need it and therefore won't be prejudiced from not having it. So that's one level of research that needs to be done um, in terms of patients with dementia. Well, more patients than dementia, sorry. Yeah, I, I think that's good advice. I mean, and, and in, in difficult times where resources are limited and general practice and GPs and all the staff are extraordinarily hard-pressed, we have to be practical about who we can actually prioritise for continuity of care in some ways. And those people who, as you've suggested there can manage perhaps with a slightly more transactional um consultation who don't need the continuity in the same way the difficulty of course is always knowing who's going to need continuity further down the line so i think probably it's uh, you never can quite know but clearly these are patients who need it right now and if practices can possibly find a way to get the same gp going same name gp getting involved with their patient with dementia it could make a, your evidence suggests it make a big difference it's particularly important for patients with dementia because they have, as it's known, they, they are um, less able to self-advocate because of the cognitive impairment. And, and the strain already put on carers can be enormous. So if, if the GPs can facilitate that process, it would be beneficial for them. Listen, I think um, we'll draw close to there because I think that's probably the ideal place to end it in terms of what we do next. Shaman, thank you so much for taking the time today. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers 
and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. Thanks again.